0: Well, good morning, friendship family. Good to see you today. Um, glad that you are here. Thanks for coming to worship with us. I know we don't like our 50-degree weather here in the South. And I broke out a sweater today um, because the temperature changed. And I'm not doing that again. It's hot up here, y'all. Um, I immediately regretted it after the first service. Why did I do that? Um, so, I'm glad you're here. We are in this year of discipleship is what we're calling 2022. It's a year to grow spiritually. It's a year when each of us individually can grow stronger in our faith, become more faithful, more loving, more generous, and also to invest in others to help others to grow as well and so that we can grow together And that's one of the reasons why, as Jake was talking about a moment ago, that we're doing these community groups. And in particular, uh, I want to call out to our men again uh, in this service. Um, Men's group starts tomorrow. And I know there's some men are like, "Ah, I don't want to get all touchy-feely and all that kind of stuff. But I promise you, it will not be lame. All right, Um, I'll try to promise you that. I'm helping lead it, so there's a degree of it may be lame, but Jay Sermon and John Davis are coming alongside me. We're going to lead that group on Monday night, so I hope you will join us. I am just such a firm believer that the more men that are involved in the church, man, the better and more healthy a church is. So men, I want to encourage you to be here tomorrow with us as we kick off um, our group One of the keys to growth, really, is just us becoming men and women of the word that love this book. And that's why we're, as a church, going through this uh, year long Bible reading plan called the F260. It's not every single word and chapter of the the Bible, it's five days a week, a couple chapters a week. Uh, Y'all are going to get tired of hearing me say it all 52 Sundays of this year, but I'm going to keep saying it until we're done with this plan. I want to invite you to read with us. And if you haven't joined us, We have Bible reading plans over at our Next Steps area. You can just jump in right where we're at on week number nine. All right, you don't have to do eight weeks of catching up. Just jump in right with us. Try to stay along with us as much as you can, but don't beat yourself up. Just get in the word as much as you can. I promise God will grow you. So, personally, we're doing the F 260. On the weekends, we're doing this sermon series called The Word, and it's coming out of the Bible reading. So, we're in series number two of eight that comprises this big year long journey through the Word of God, through the story of God. Promised Land is this series. So, we've got a couple more weeks in this series, but today will be our last week in Exodus, the book of Exodus, second book in the Old Testament. And today's sermon is called A Picture is Worth a Thousand Words. All right, y'all heard that phrase before, I'm sure, A Picture is Worth a Thousand Words. So how many of y'all do Instagram? How many of you are on Instagram? Show, show of hands. Some of y'all are on Instagram and you just don't, you are too tired to raise your stinking hands this morning. Um, Instagram's like Facebook, it's like Young and now old, and so everyone's running away from it because all the old people are on Instagram. But it's one of the top three social media platforms, right? I remember back in the day, a few years ago, when it started, it was primarily a photo sharing app, and now it's become way more than that. And I would guess that Instagram believes that a picture is worth a thousand likes or a thousand bucks or something like that, right? Um, they're looking to make money off of this. But the idea behind that phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words, is that sometimes an image or a picture says a lot more than, or it conveys an idea better than a bunch of words, right? Uh, Do do any of y'all have a picture that you've taken or that you're in that means a lot to you? Maybe it tells a story um, that more than a thousand words could tell. Uh, I have a picture I was going through this past week and looking through some old photos, and I came with this picture from June 13th. 2017, and I think I shared this in this church maybe a couple years ago. Some of you all probably weren't around, or you wouldn't remember, anyways. Um, this picture, it's at a summer camp. Okay, we were talking about that just a moment ago. It's a summer camp in Dayton, Tennessee. It's up in the mountains of Tennessee, called Fort Bluff Camp. And going on five years ago, five summers ago, my family and I were making our way to on a road trip vacation to Florida, and we decided to take a little detour, and we went to this camp in Tennessee because. The summer of 2017 was the 25th, like, anniversary of the time when I first went to a summer camp. And the first time I heard the gospel, first time I really heard preaching, and I gave my life to God. And it was a life-changing experience for me. And 2017, I was like, man, it's 25 years ago. And I, and, and I wanted my family to experience, just to see the place where God turned my life upside down. So we made this little pit stop, and we went into this auditorium. And I remember up on the front left side of this auditorium is where I kind of came down and gave my life to Jesus. And uh, as we were leaving, I saw in the back um, this, uh, this, this sheet, this song lyric sheet for the song called Oh Come to the Altar. And I just looked at that. and I was like, what in the world? And I didn't like, I didn't put this there as a prop for my photo. Okay, sometimes we do that. We like stage stuff, you know on top about? I just saw this and I was like, this is amazing. And so I took I snapped this picture because I, you can literally see this is where I first came to the altar and gave my life to God. And I just saw this on the back there. I was like, this is unbelievable. And so I, I took this picture and I posted it and I hardly ever post. But this is one of those pictures that meant so much to me that tells a story because of, of what's behind it and how God changed my life so drastically. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible is is a storybook, and it's made up of all these stories, not fairy tales, but true stories, historical events about people and places and and things that have occurred, and it's, it's all one unified story that points to Jesus. But like every good storybook, what does every good storybook have? A lot of pictures, right? And the Bible is no... Different. It's full of pictures. The Old Testament in particular is full of pictures about people or things that that point to something that's coming in the New Testament. Sometimes we call them a shadow or they foreshadow something. Or we use the word a lot of time types. We say this is a type of something that is to come, or it's a symbol, there's symbolism in the Bible. And when you begin to see, and for for me at least personally, and I, I think for a lot of folks, when you begin to see the Bible. You start reading the Old Testament and you get bogged down, but you see pictures that point to something that's coming to the New Testament, to Jesus ultimately. Man, it brings it brings all of it to life when you see the pictures because the picture helps us to understand the real thing. Now, I think you can go overboard with this. Sometimes people are like, okay, what does the foot in this passage symbolize? I'm like, it's just a foot, all right? You're going too far trying to connect the dots. But Exodus in particular is so full of of pictures. And so what I wanna do for a little bit this morning is I wanna kinda go through this picture book and I just wanna look at five pictures, just like a mini photo album, if you will. We'll take a little bit longer um, on the fifth one. We'll kind of scan through or it's not like Instagram where we'll be done like in a second. We'll take a little bit of time with the first four. Picture number five, we'll spend a little bit more time on. But five pictures of Jesus in the book of Exodus. That's where we're gonna go this morning. Okay, so first one is this. And we saw this actually a couple weeks ago, so I won't spend much time here. But we saw the Passover lamb, Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, what we see is that God's getting ready to execute judgment on the nation of Egypt, but he provides a way of rescue, a way of salvation for his people. And the way is, he tells his people, I want you to take a spotless lamb. I want you to sacrifice it. Take the blood of that lamb and and put it on the doorpost of your house. So when I come through Egypt in the middle of the night to execute judgment, I will see the blood on the doorpost and I will pass over your house. I will save you by the blood of that, that, that Passover lamb. And then as you fast forward into the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist, as he sees Jesus walking, man, he shouts him out and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so every Jewish person there for generations, they've celebrated year after year, the Passover, the Passover lamb. And so they see the picture. They've seen it. They celebrate it every single year. Now here comes the reality of Jesus who walks on the scene and he is the real deal. He is the lamb of The Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so here's the picture. Here's the reality that Jesus takes away our sin. Jesus takes away our sin. And so we connect the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Picture number one, the Passover lamb. Picture number two is this. Picture number two, the bread from heaven. Now, a couple weeks ago, you may have read this in your reading, Exodus chapter 16, what we found in Exodus 16 is God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt, but before he brings them to the promised land, they're, they're in this middle period of wilderness. And the people, man, they get hungry and they get angry, which makes them what? Angry, right? They're just grumbling and complaining and they're mad and they're like, Moses, why did you bring us out here just for us to starve to death? All the meat and all the stuff we got to enjoy in Egypt and now we're in the wilderness. And so God miraculously provides for them food. He provides bread from heaven that the people call manna. And so God provides sustenance and food for their hungry bellies through this bread that comes from heaven. Literally every morning he rains down bread from heaven to feed them. And then we fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes along and And he makes this declaration in John chapter 6 as this crowd is coming to him after the miracle of feeding the 5,000. What what did Jesus use to feed the 5,000? You remember? Some bread and some fish, right? And here comes the crowd to Jesus and they're like, show us some more tricks. Show us some more. We want to follow you, but how can we know that you're from God, that you're sent from God. Give us a sign. Our fathers, way back when, God gave them bread from heaven. So what sign are you going to show us, Jesus? Jesus comes along in John 6, and he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so we see that Jesus has come down from heaven to give us life. He says, I am the bread of life. And so just like this Old Testament picture where where bread came from heaven to feed the people, he says, Uh -uh. I am the real deal, and I have come to give you life. I am the bread of heaven. And so there's picture number two. Picture number one, Passover lamb. Picture number two, bread from heaven. Picture number three, all right, we're scrolling right through these, right? Picture number three is water from the rock. Water from the rock, Exodus 17. And I wanna take you there to Exodus 17 to show you This story, because the people are like, okay, we're fed, we're good, but what's next? Now we're thirsty. Give us something to drink. All right, Exodus 17. People are getting mad up in here. Uh, So we go to Exodus chapter 17, look at verse number four. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders Of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Okay, remember, he struck the Nile, and the Nile was a river, it was water, right? So here's what he's going to do to provide for their thirst. Verse 6 Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Oreb, this is the mountain of God, and you shall strike the rock. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so God instructs Moses to provide for, to satisfy the thirst of the people. He says, take the rod, strike the rock, and from the rock is gonna come water, that's going to satisfy your thirst. And then when you come into the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and we won't look at this passage, but John chapter four, he comes to a well and there's a Samaritan woman there. And you know what she says? She says, give me something to drink. And if you remember the story, Jesus says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would know that I would give you living water and whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. And then he goes on in another place, John 7. He says this on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and what? And drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then as we go to another passage, 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. And he's going back to Exodus, back to his forefathers. He says, all passed through the sea and all were baptized in the Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Catch this now. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was who? Christ. He says, the rock, the people were quarreling. Like, is God really among us or not? And Paul emphatically says, yes, because the rock was Christ. He is the one who saved you, sustained you, that quenched your thirst. And so Jesus is the rock. Listen, Jesus was struck on the cross, right? He was struck and he poured out his life. He poured out every ounce of blood. Why? To satisfy the thirst of every human being. He was the rock. He was the water that came and quenched the thirst. He is the one who satisfies our thirst like no one and nothing else could possibly do. Old Testament picture, water, strike the rock, water comes forth to satisfy thirst. The reality, Jesus is living water that was struck, and poured out to satisfy our thirst. Are you with me? Are you seeing the pictures? The picture is so much better than, uh, the, the, the reality is so much better than the picture. Jesus is, is real and he's better. And, and, and this is why Jesus at the Last Supper in Matthew 26. So I love this, because Jesus, what he does is he kind of connects the dots from these Old Testament pictures, and at the same time, he kind of creates these new pictures that are going to make sense in just a little while when he goes to the cross. At the Last Supper, he sits down with his disciples, and and what does he take and break? Bread. He says, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he, he hearkens back to that bread from heaven. He says, I am the bread from heaven. And he's pointing forward to his sacrifice when his body, like that loaf of bread, would be broken upon the cross. And so he's, he's connecting dots from these former pictures to what's coming forward. He's setting up these new pictures. And then he says, drink of it. Drink of, of, of the blood of the covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of many. You know, what's he doing? He's... he's, he's painting pictures. He's connecting the dots. It's like the water that, that flowed out of the rock that satisfied thirst, and he's pointing forward to when he would shed his blood, when he would be struck upon the cross, spill out all of his blood so that we could be cleansed of our sin, so we could eat and drink of him, we could partake of him and receive salvation that he has so freely provided to us. Picture number one, Passover lamb. Picture number two, bread from heaven. Picture number three, water from the rock. Picture number four, priests. All right, Exodus chapter 28. If you're doing the reading with us, this last week you got into Exodus chapter 28. And this is one of those spots where... If we're being honest, it kind of gets a little rough, y'all. If you were reading this, this is when he talks about priests and he talks about the garments that these priests would wear. And he goes into great detail and it's easy to get lost in the midst of all these details. But though, though, though God would establish Israel as a kingdom of priests, he said this earlier on in Exodus 19, what God did here is he established a priesthood. So this is a group of, of men who would be mediators between God and man. And so he chooses Aaron and he chooses Aaron's sons. And it says that he puts on them, quote, holy garments. Now, what, what are the purpose for the holy garments? Is it to look all, you know, schnazzy when they go into the tabernacle so they look all fancy? And No, no. The reason he gave them these holy garments is was to Cover up their sinfulness so that they could come into the presence of God, so they could mediate between God and man. They could offer sacrifices. So he gives them these holy garments. These are the priests, and they played an important part in the Old Testament and the whole system of sacrifices. But then we move into the New Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene, and we could spend a lot of time in the book of Hebrews. And I put some extra references in case any of you want to nerd out later on Hebrews 2, Hebrews 4. Really, the entire book of Hebrews explains this picture that Jesus is our priest. He is our great high priest. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, I want you to see this with me. Hebrews 7, the writer says this, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have Such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is holy and innocent and unstained and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Why? He did this once for all when he offered up himself. He was that Passover lamb. He was that perfect sacrifice. He was that one without sin. Listen, he is our great high priest and he didn't have to put on holy garments to cover up his sin. Why not? Because he had no sin. It's said that he was holy and innocent and unstained and separated from sinners. He didn't have to put on garments to cover up his sin. He had no sin. But rather what Jesus did was He clothed us with His righteousness. He clothed clothed us with His righteousness so that we could become. You know, First Peter two nine says that we are to be we're to be a royal priesthood, and so He clothes us with His righteousness, with His holy garments, so that we could be. Priests, so that we could represent God to others. And so there's this incredible picture that Jesus is our great high priest. So picture number one, Passover lamb. Picture number two, bread from heaven. Picture number three, water from the rock. Picture number four, priests. All right, picture number five. We'll spend our last few minutes unpacking this. And I want to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 34, if you've got a Bible or if you've got your sermon notes. Picture number five is this, the glory of God revealed. The glory of God revealed. So Jake had mentioned with our, our memory verse, Exodus 33, there's this part in the story and in Moses's life where he's begging God to go with him and his people so that they would go into the promised land. And and this reminds me, this whole interchange in Exodus 33, this whole exchange of words reminds me of a scene from a movie. Have any of y'all seen, uh, it's an old movie, A Few Good Men um, with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson? There's this like classic courtroom scene. Y'all remember it? You know it. It's coming in your head if you've seen it. It reminds me of that because in this scene in Exodus 33, Moses is like Tom Cruise. And he's like, God, I wanna see your glory. And you know what God's response is? It's like God's on the stand, he is the judge, and he's, he says, you can't handle my glory. Y'all know the scene I'm talking about? You can't handle the truth. And here is God who's saying, Moses, man, Kudos to you. You want to see my glory, but you could not handle the full weight of my glory. And so here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to take you and I'm going to stick you in the cleft of a rock. And I'm going to pass by and you're going to get a glimpse of my backside. That's all you can handle It's just a little glimpse of the backside of my glory. Because, Moses, there's no way that you could see the fullness of my glory of who I am and live to talk about it. And so he does this with, with Moses. And, and y'all, isn't this kind of like how God reveals himself to us? Like just little glimpses of his goodness and his glory. If we pay attention every single day, we, he, he drops these little breadcrumbs that lead us to, to him and show us his goodness and glory. And in Exodus 34, as we move into this next chapter that I want us to look at, this is the, the second giving of the law. So we looked at when God gave Moses, the Ten Commandments last week, and then Moses comes down the mountain and sees the nation of Israel, they're committing idolatry. Man, he gets so angry that he takes those two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and he, he breaks them. And here we come in Exodus 34, and, and God is so gracious to give the law to him once again. And so here we go, Exodus 34, starting in verse number 28. It says this, So he, Moses, was there with the Lord up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. This is the old covenant. Verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Imagine like when some of y'all come in from being at the beach during the summer and some of us like, whoa, your face is on fire. You need to use some sunscreen next time. And this is, thank you, Corey. I appreciate that. So this is the scene. They're like, his face is blazing, bright, radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. So verse number Where are we at now? Verse 31. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, pay attention here, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel uh, what was commanded, and the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So, Moses in the presence of God, the glory of God is being revealed to him in this face to face kind of interaction. And, and man, his, his glory is so incredible that, his, that Moses, when he comes down the mountain, his face is so bright and it's shining because of what? The glory of God. And so he comes down, Moses has heard the glory of God, he's seen the glory of God, he's now from his face literally reflecting the glory of God, and, and we see that he puts this veil over his face, all right? We'll come back to that in a second. Let's fast forward. That's the picture, the glory of God revealed, the reality, Mark chapter 2, and we won't spend a lot of time in this, but Mark chapter 2, there's this occasion where Jesus takes three of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, and they go up a mountain. And I want you to see this in Mark chapter 9, just verses 2 and 3. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. That word transfigure literally means to be transformed or to change forms. He was transformed before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And so I just want to stop there and and consider this scene. If you've heard of this, this is this is a story we call the transfiguration, where Jesus is, is totally transformed in front of Peter and James and John. And you see later on in the story that Moses and Elijah actually show up on the scene. And, and I, I find it so funny because Peter, they're all freaked out of their minds. Peter is so nervous like, have you ever been like nervous you just do or say stupid things? Peter, it says, I should have shown this on the screen. Peter is so frightened that he just says, Hey, can I build the three of you a tent? <laughs> like, it's just hilarious if you actually look at it. And, and the voice of God comes down and basically says, Shut up. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God doesn't say that, but that's my interpretation. But here's a scene where it says that Jesus is transfigured before them. And I never caught this in this verse. Verse number three his clothes became radiant intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And I looked in other translations and there's other translations where it says like, no launderer on earth could whiten them like this. Really interesting, I've never seen that before in my life until this week. But he was so bright, blazing white. It reminds me of like like a Hollywood star, if you ever look at their teeth and you're like, is that, that's not natural. That is way too bright, that can't be real. And that, like, it freaks me out a little bit. Like, this, this cannot be true. And this is what, the, they were so freaked out by the, the radiance of Jesus in this moment. And he, here's how I think of, of this scene. Because every single one of us would be freaked out in this moment. Because if you think about John chapter one, it talks about Jesus came as the light of the world. And this was God who veiled himself in human flesh, right? He came to us, In the person of Jesus, and what these disciples get to experience. In this moment where Jesus picks out these three and they go up to the top of this mountain and it says that he's transfigured, he's transformed before them. All I can imagine is that in this moment, Jesus, I can't explain this, but he somehow pulls back the veil of his flesh to reveal the glory of God in this moment. And this is why they freak out. This is why they fall to their faces. It's because the glory of God is revealed. Jesus is the glory of God revealed. And there's no doubt that these men, these Jewish men who grew up, again, they knew all the customs and the tradition and all the history. And they knew about Moses and they knew these stories. And there's no doubt in my mind that those three men in this moment, they're connecting the dots And they're remembering how Moses went up high on a mountain and the glory of God was revealed to him so much so that when he came down, his face was bright white on fire. And they're in this moment connecting the dots that, man, that was God revealing his glory to to Moses. And yet we get to experience God revealing his glory to us in this moment because Jesus is the glory of God revealed. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, he is the exact image. He is the exact representation of the nature and the essence of God right here. This is who Jesus is. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Man, what an incredible, incredible picture. Picture number one. Passover lamb, picture number two, bread from heaven. Picture three, water from the rock. Picture four, the priests or the priesthood. Picture number five, the glory of God revealed. All right, so we spent a little bit more time on that, that fifth and final picture, but what do we do with these pictures now? How do we live in light of this truth? Do we just, do we just hang these pictures up and admire them and go, wow, those are some really cool pictures. What do we do with those pictures? Well, let me, give you a, let me give you a thought here. This is really the big idea for today. Pictures are valuable, but the real thing is incomparable. Pictures are valuable. Jesus didn't come to do away with those pictures. Jesus didn't say those things were worthless, but Jesus is the real deal to which all of the pictures pointed to. And so those pictures, man, I hope One of my hopes this morning is that as you see pictures, and there's so many more, we could look at all the pictures in Exodus of the tabernacle, which every single piece of furniture that you read about, and you're like, oh my goodness, there's so many things in here. Every single thing represents something, and it's a picture of something. And we could spend all kinds of time looking at the pictures. The pictures are great. I hope that you can open the the Old Testament now and go, man, there's so much in there that points to Jesus. This is so good. The pictures are awesome. But what I hope more than anything is that it will point you to the real deal, the real article, Jesus. Colossians 2.17 says it this way. These are a shadow of the things to come, talking about the law, the old covenant, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, the shadow is great. The picture is great, but the substance is in Jesus. The real deal is better. Have you ever been at an event? or taking pictures of something or video. Um, like, for instance, I remember one of the first times uh, I was at a concert, and I had a smartphone um, where I could record video, and I find myself recording um, with my phone, no iPads, all right, don't be one of those. You're gonna tell your age if you use an iPad for pictures. Y'all are, you <laughs> y'all need to wake up. So I remember filming this concert, and I'm like, I'm loving it, I'm hearing it, but I'm watching the screen. Have you ever done that? And you're like caught up watching this thing. And I'm like, wait wait a second. I'm missing the actual event because I'm paying attention to the image. And I'm so caught up in this because I want there to be in, in years in the future. I want to be able to look back on this and remember how great this time was. And yet I'm missing it because I'm staring at my phone how often do we do that? I've learned how to like film while still enjoying the event now. Okay, there's a trick to that. Um, but this is that same idea that we're so occupied with, with the image when the, the real thing, the real article is right in front of us. And y'all take pictures, fill up your Instagram, whatever. Don't miss the real life deal that's going on in front of you. Don't miss your kids and the relationships and all the things because you're caught up in capturing the memory And that's a freebie. I didn't have that in the first service, so that's for for y'all today, all right? Don't get so occupied with the picture that you miss the real thing. Jesus is real and Jesus is better. And all of those incredible pictures points to the real deal of Christ. All right, one more passage, and we're gonna wrap this up. And we're gonna tie a bow on this. 2 Corinthians 3. This goes back to the story of Moses and the veil. Okay, so let me wrap this up for us today. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talking here. He's explaining that this new covenant, the gospel grace is superior to that old covenant, which was all about the law and the commandments. And, and, and so he's, he's saying the law reveals our sin and it condemns us, but the gospel gives us life And And so we come into 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Paul says this, Since we have such a hope, a hope in the gospel, we are very bold. Not like Moses. Okay, so he points back to Moses back in Exodus 34. So we're bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So, let me time out here for a second. I learned something that I've never seen before in my life. Here, Here's my impression when I read through Exodus 34, maybe this was your impression too, that Moses comes down from the mountain, his face is on fire, he's glowing. And so Moses, who's very loving and considerate of the Israelites, he puts a veil up because he wants to minimize the glow, right? He doesn't want to freak them out. He doesn't want to like burn their eyeballs. So he covers his face with a veil. Wow, Moses, that's so kind of you. How could you, man, you're awesome. But that's not what it says. Look at verse number 13 again. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. Why? So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Here's what it says. Moses' face was shining. It was bright, but it was fading. It was passing away. And what Moses said is, I don't want the people to see the fading glory. I got to experience the glory of God. It's on my face. I don't want them to see and experience this passing, this diminishing, this fading glory. And so he covered his face so that they wouldn't see the outcome of what was ending. Now, What was Moses doing up on the mountain? He was getting the law. This is all representative of the old covenant. And so when he talks about this fading glory from his face, there's actually a picture in here of the fading glory of the law, of the old covenant. Let me go on and I'll explain this as we go. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over, not their faces, but over their hearts. What he's saying here is, even to this day, when people read the law, okay, here's what I need to do. Do this and this and this and, and, and follow these traditions and customs and be obedient to this. Then I will please God. That was kind of the glory of the old covenant. And what Moses said is that it was a passing glory. That is a fading glory. There is a better glory, an ever-increasing glory. It's this new covenant. Jesus came to do what Moses could not complete. He brought grace. It wasn't about what we do. It's about what has been done for us in Jesus. And he says that even to this day, those who are Jewish or those who are still subscribing to the law, those who are trying to please God through following rules, he says, the veil is still over, not their faces. It's over their hearts. They don't get it. They're trying to please God by doing stuff. And that's not how you please God. And he says that only through Christ is it taken away. Verse, Actually, let me read this quote for you. F.W. Grant, the glory on the face of Moses must give way to the glory in another face. And so he says in verse number 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's what he's saying. You can never get life from the law it only comes when we look to christ and he goes on one last verse here he says this and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is the spirit listen y'all I'm wrapping this up. Don't miss this. All of these pictures points to the real thing, Christ, that we don't find rescue. We don't find salvation. We don't find life in doing a bunch of stuff for God. We find life and forgiveness and redemption in looking to Jesus in him only by beholding his glory beholding isn't like this passing glance it's not the swiping past it's like gazing deeply into and so when we gaze into the glory of God through his word as we see God revealed to us through his word as we drink deeply of that we are transformed we are changed The law could never change us. The law could never transform us. The law could never give us life. It only happens. The veil is only removed when we look to Christ. And so this morning, you know, I talked about that picture in the beginning, right? That picture of that auditorium. And when I look at that picture, I love that picture. I love that picture not because of the cool filter I used. I love that picture not because, like, oh, I was so creative, even though that's a pretty darn good photo right there, y'all. Okay, it is. Okay, very symbolic. It's good. But I don't love that picture because of how cool the picture is. I love that picture because of the reality behind that picture. That On that day, in July 15th of 1992, I came to the altar. Like God, for the first time in my life, removed the veil and helped me to see him for who he truly is. And I came to the altar and I threw my life upon the altar and I surrendered myself to God. And the reason I love that picture is because that was the moment, that was the time when God changed my life. And even when I look at this picture now, I remember back to... June 13th of 2017, when I came into this auditorium with my wife and kids, and I didn't share this picture. We sat on the front row where I gave my life to Jesus, and I blubbered through this prayer with my family, thanking the Lord for changing my life, saying, God, I wouldn't have every single blessing of my wife and children and everything that you blessed me with if you hadn't if you hadn't encountered me on that day, if you hadn't intersected my life. And so when I look at that picture, man, that's worth far more than a thousand words because it tells a story. But even if I didn't have this picture, the reality is what remains. The reality is the best thing that God changed my life and transformed me. And my hope for you is that, man, you could look at all the pictures and go, wow, these are incredible. God, you're so cool. You're such an artist in painting all these things. In the Old Testament, my hope for you is that you will look to Christ today and that you will behold his glory, which is what changes you. Amen. And so God, today, I just want to say thank you for your goodness and your grace and I thank you for revealing yourself to us in the person of Jesus. I thank you that we could see who you are because of what you have done, because you have revealed yourself in your word. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here today or that's watching online that has never experienced the goodness of your grace, God, today, would you just reach out and grab a hold of their hearts and draw them to yourself. I pray that they would have a come to the altar moment this morning. And Lord, for every single one of us that know you, that have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to look to Christ, that we would behold you in all of your glory, that you would continue to change us from one degree of glory to another. You continue to work on us and do your work in us. Lord, thank you for who you are this morning. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to come to the altar. So why don't you all stand with us?